is a special presentation of the Buccaneers Sports Network. This is the Jay and Keith Show. Two broadcasters, two microphones, and one meticulously scripted podcast. You what? Just kidding. Get it, J.K.? You get it. That's what I thought was so funny. It's not funny. Alongside Keith Bray, here's the voice of the Bucks, Jay Sandoz. All right, another edition of Jay and Keith with you, and we're going to talk about last weekend Southern Conference basketball, ETSU men's and women's, and uh, whatever else comes to the top of mind, because later in the week, obviously, it is signing day for football on Wednesday, so there's a lot to talk about there, but we won't be able to talk about it until we get to there, because, you know, the pesky NCAA doesn't allow us to do that since we work for the university. Pesky! Uh, yeah, can, can we get somebody to just write a furious screed on our behalf on social media like another school did? Could, maybe. Just railing against the NCAA? I mean. Well, the only thing the only thing about that, because there was a school maybe in the same state that railed against the NCAA. But yes. As we know, the NCAA will be so mad at Tennessee that it will give the death penalty to ETSU. I, I was, I was going to say. Well, I mean, you know. It's like Jerry Tarkanian said, did you see the punishment they gave to Eastern Kentucky? That shows you how mad they they were were at Kentucky. Kentucky. And there is something to that because look at us flex our muscles over these schools who can't afford to battle us in the courts. UNC UNC slithered out of something, and uh, Northern Colorado got hit with a postseason ban. Actually, that actually happened. It happens all the time. Not Uh, shocking. If you, I'm just gonna say, if you do 150 and you get caught, the system's not the problem. I'm just saying, like you still, you still got caught, you still broke the law. I agree. Anyway. I, I, I anyway, 100. That's, that's, that's all I. That's that's all. In the words of Forrest Gump, and that's all I have to say about that. Uh, let's move on to happier things like basketball, game-winning layups by Kimari Peterson, and. Uh, the the shot blocks by Jaden Seymour that facilitate them. I mean, I'll say this: couple of wins for ETSU against the military schools have come off block shots. And I know yep. Ke- I know Kimari Peterson had to hit the layup on the other end, but without the block shot by Seymour at VMI, it was a block shot by Jaden Parker. Without yep. block shots and defense, yep. and then you look at the win against Mercer, where ETSU held Mercer to forty nine points. I think Mercer had forty nine at halftime. Against BMI, now granted, Correct. slightly different, you know, style of defense and everything. But with Karan Boyd back, I mean, you could make an argument the way the defense has looked. Um, you know, and I know they gave up seventy-five against Sanford. Sanford's the top team in the league, top scoring league, style of play, this and other. But I mean, since Karan Boyd's been back, you can look at uh, the number. Matter of fact, I'm glad I'm glad I brought that up because I'm going to feed you a stat here. I've got to pull it up fast enough because I should have thought about we were actually going to talk about this. Uh, Here we I was, go. You I was told there would be no math. There, I, I did it for you. Okay. Defensive efficiency. Yes. Five games with Karan Boyd. Uh-huh. 0.97 points per possession. 323 on 332 possessions. That's points in the three. 323 points, 332 possessions. Yes. Without Karan Boyd, 391 points on 340 possessions, which is 1.15 points per possession. 
that's the equivalent of 13.6 points per game given up in league play with Karan Boyd out. And, again, if people weren't sure, I believe most of the Buck fans are on board with now, yeah, Karan Boyd's a little bit of a difference maker for a lot of reasons, and defensively rebounding, and more importantly, guarding the opposing team's best player, which yep. means Kimari Peterson and some other guys don't have to expend as much energy on the defensive end and allow him to do it. Yes, I think it's it's helped the team out immensely in a lot of ways. And, and Karan, this is what when you say – it's kind of the nebulous phrase in, in hockey, which is where, you know, that was my first passion was hockey. But uh, the nebulous phrase, he makes the players around him better. I think that's the biggest asset that Karan Boyd has is that it's the little things he does that don't necessarily show up immediately in a box score which I'd love to get Brooks Savage on here and talk about his feelings on the basketball box score and what it actually tells us about the way a game transpired because he has some very pointed and I think, um, I don't know if they're necessarily eccentric opinions, but they're very strongly strong opinions uh, about, the, um, about the state of the, the, the college basketball box score. But Karan Boyd does a lot of things that don't show up on that box score when you go to etsubucks.com and you read through Kevin Brown's release that he diligently writes every single game, and then you click on the box score link and you go look at the stats. There's stuff in there that – or there, there are things that Karan Boyd does that don't show up in there. And those things make ETSU a better, more efficient basketball team overall. He lifts the sum of the parts to its potential. Uh, I'm I'm totally down with it. Uh, ETSU played, I thought, pretty solid defense overall. Now, they remember, Abby Asamoah was great on Elijah Morgan for most of the ball game, really the first three quarters of the ball game, because Morgan started out well, 0 for seven from the field, 0 for six from three. Then he finally hit a couple and got some shots to go, but and, and that helped the Citadel mount the comeback. But you know, ETSU still held the Citadel to 60 points. You should be winning games where you hold your opponent to 60 or fewer, and ETSU found a way to win it. They did have to grind it out. They did have to win it late, but they they won it. And at the end of it all, as I told Brooks and as Brooks has told me, they don't ask how, they ask how many. Yeah, there's a left column and a right column, and you want more on the left side of that dash than the right side of the dash. And it does not matter how you get them. No, and, and, and there's no style of, of, of points, Victoria. There is at certain levels of certain things. Sure, stylistic points can help when you're maybe talking at-larges. You're talking college football on the FBS level where they're trying to be in the top four teams and, and people just look at scores and they don't really know how games play. Sure. Southern Conference basketball, no. You just need more in the left than the right. It doesn't matter how. And I think Karan Boyd's one of the reasons why. I think Alan Struthers coming back and being in full strength. And, yeah, you talk about being efficient. Didn't score. Five assists, five rebounds, had a block shot. Um, I thought was outstanding on how he played defense and the toughness he brings. So you yep. add in two defensive guys that weren't particularly on the floor a lot early in the conference season. I think that is a game changer. And then Makai Johnson comes off the bench after the ankle injury. And how about efficiency here? Six minutes, nine points on three made threes. Three of five shooting, uh, pretty good I think output for him. And Gabe Sis continues just to kind of chug along. Five points, three boards, but 18 minutes. He's getting, 
I think a little more confident on the defensive end. I don't think he's quite the liability. And if you haven't caught the theme of what I'm talking about is defense because ETSU has its stretches where it struggles offensively. But you can win basketball games if you hold teams to 60 points or less or something to that range. And so, you know, can ETSU score 75 or 80? Sure, they've done it a couple of games. But let's be honest, that's not that's not how they're going to win games. Right. They're not going to outscore people 78, 74 right. and win games. But right? you do need shot makers. And having Ebby kind of getting back into a rhythm. I know he's, he ended up 4 of 12, but I think he started 3 of 5 uh, and was really, really good in the first half, knocking down shots. And then he started jacking a few up, you know, with 18, 17 on the shot clock. And like, hey, don't take that shot, uh, especially not when we're trying to win the ball game. But – you need more than just Ebi Asamoah. And I thought Makai Johnson hitting back-to-back threes. He didn't have the one, you know, the heat check deep in the corner where he's behind the backboard, and you're like, oh, okay, all right. It's, it's, maybe they hit two one. in a row, I'll give him that. He's a freshman. He'll, yeah, he'll know any better. Yeah, it's like, okay, okay all right, ran ra- ra- it in, guy, ran it in. Um, but at the same time, he hit big shots. At, at times where ETSU needed shots, Makai Johnson came off the bench and delivered. I would love to see more of that, even if it's just, you know, eight, ten minutes a game. Find him the ball, find him some open looks, and let him take some shots because he can give your team some juice. And we are talking about situations where one or two main threes for the Bucks could make a significant difference in the state of their season, and you still have a little less than half a conference season to get yourself out of the bottom four and off of Friday night. And if Makai Johnson can help you do that by making shots, I'd be willing to roll the dice on putting a freshman out there defensively that maybe uh, doesn't have everything quite as put together as as he will in, say, eight months when he's back on the floor for fall practice of his sophomore year. But right now, if you need shot makers, I'd be glad to have somebody like that on my bench. And, And that's somebody that helped ETSU made a meaningful contribution to the Bucks beating the Citadel. I think he has more meaningful contributions to wins in him in the last eight games of the year. I, I, again, I think just what ETSU can do defensively, they're starting to use the bench more, which I believe is just going to help matters because they weren't particularly deep to go with. But when you're missing Allen Struthers, especially when you're missing Karan Boyd, it got to a point where I was like, okay, we're either going to trust these young guys or we're not, and they're starting to get some trust in there. And so it depends on matchup. I think there's a few guys, depending on the matchup, you could see Tyler Rice a little more on the the floor. You could see DJ Hughes more on the floor. But I think that's a matchup situation. I think they've got eight guys that are going to roll with, because we talked about that a few games ago, who is going to kind of be in in that rotation. And so we we knew when Karab Boyd was back, Struthers and Sisk were going to be the two guys for sure. And you asked, well, who's the the eighth guy? And I think it's going to be matchup driven. And Makai Johnson, we got the first call. He had a couple threes. He seemed like the guy they need to roll with. But I think if you need another ball handler, I think it'll be Tyler Rice out there. If you need a shooter, it's going to be Makai Johnson. And, I I mean, Rice can shoot it, but I think Makai has a higher ceiling, in my opinion, on shots made than maybe Tyler Rice. And then if it's a big guy, then it's D.J. Hughes. But I think that eighth guy is going to continue to be a little bit by committee depending on matchups. And the seven key rotation guys are the guys we talked about, the starting five with Gron Boyd in it, and Alan Struthers and uh, um, uh, Gabe Sisk coming off the bench as the two kind of six and seven. Everybody else kind of fitting in where they get in. Yeah, I just don't know that 
you know, like we talked about with Peterson and the, the minutes he's asked to play, I don't think Jaden Seymour, as good as he is, and he has been real good this year. I feel like we haven't talked about him enough and just his ability to score the ball. Uh, he's been he's been putting himself in really good positions, and guys have been finding him, and he's knocking down shots, um, not just you know, layups and dunks, but he's getting some threes in there. He's improved so much from the free throw line this season, and that's got him in double figures in, what, like 14 of the last 16 games. Uh, that guy can't play 37 minutes a night for the rest of the year and still give you what he's giving you right now. There's got to be somebody somewhere that steps up as an eighth guy that helps you balance your rotation so nobody has to play the Hercules minutes and wear themselves out by the time you get to the conference tournament. Because right now, you're hoping to make a run, win a couple games at least, if not win the whole thing. And you got a guy that's playing 37, playing 34, playing 38. That guy is going to be dead tired by the time you get to Asheville. And so there's got to be one more guy in the rotation that comes in and stays in um, because rotating seven right now where you get seven guys that are playing between 18 and 37, I just I don't know that you can do You can do it with eight, right? You can do it with eight. If you have an eighth guy in there that's giving you 15, then you're good. Um, but if it's seven, it just starts to, to wear on guys. There is a reason that teams conventionally rotate eight and teams that press like Sanford does typically rotate more because you want to keep your legs fresh for as long as possible to play the most efficient basketball possible on both ends. Well, and I think for Seymour, too, he's in a little bit of an interesting spot because if Jaden Parker's in foul trouble, when you're playing – specifically the Citadel and VMI, small ball, you can easily go there because they don't have big guys in the post, and right. they, their fives really sh- more than likely shoot the ball. I know um, uh, Miller Brown necessarily didn't shoot a lot of threes, and that's not his game, but some of the other guys that come from Citadel don't scare you, so you can get – and they're not post presence down there. And VMI, same thing. You know, uh, Nussbaum's going to go out there and fire threes, and, and Chat's going to have guys that fire threes, and – Maybe not play inside. So Seymour probably getting a few more minutes at the five because of matchups more than anything else. But I think when you get to a few of the other teams like Wofford, like I, I think it's difficult to play Jaden Seymour against Philowich down there. You're going to have to have DJ Hughes or Bray Nillick or somebody come in. So some of it I think is matchups. But to your point, just looking at it, the last since UNCG, I remember the first conference game was Mercer where he was ill. Speaking of Seymour, uh, here's the minutes per game. I'm just going to roll right through them. 38, 37, 38, 34, 35, 34, 25, 36, 37. So 34 more and all but one, which was the Sanford game. Look, I'm all for Josh Spanauer earning his keep, but there's got to be some way to get him just an extra four or five minutes on the bench. And also and that, that, that will be the challenge, I think, for, for Brooks Savage in the last eight games is – how can we manage our guys' minutes? I think you've got everybody else about where you want them. You know, Karan's a little heavy, but it's not the end of the universe. Peterson, 29, is about what he's going to – you know, Asamoa, 29. He's a grad, he's a grad student. He's a fifth-year guy. Like, he should be playing big minutes. Um, it, you know, those guys are still kind of in 
they're on the high end of the comfortable range, but they're still in the comfortable range where you feel okay about it. Seymour at 37 is just – there are very few players in college basketball that can play those kinds of minutes for 25 games, 30 games, and still be the same player they were at the midpoint of the year when you get to the end of it. So that to me is a it, – it's not a – you know, it's not a Seymour challenge of, hey, you're being saddled with this, you better work through it. This is a coaching challenge of how do we get our number one – I think he's the number one scorer on the team right now. I don't know if he is – is he points per game? Is, is it him or is it Ebby? Uh, he's got Ebby by point one. Okay. So one of your two premier scorers, one of the two guys that really, you know, puts the, the sharp end in your offense – how do we get that guy an extra four or five minutes of rest a game? Because that will have a net impact on his ability to perform for you in the tournament. Yeah, so five. Uh, you talk about starting five. You add the two more that we've talked about, Sisk and Struthers. In league play, yep. I'll give you their minutes played. No shock. Leading the team is Seymour. 33.2 minutes per contest. Peterson right behind him at 32.7. But those numbers have gone down slightly with Struthers coming back. 32 for Asamoah, 30 for Karan Boyd, 29 Jaden Parker, 25 give or take for Alan Struthers, right at 20 for Gabe Sisk. So, again, can you snake somebody else 12, 13 minutes? Or, again, it can be by committee. If it, you need post-play, could you get D.J. Hughes and Braden Illick to combine for 12 to 14 minutes as opposed to one guy getting 14 minutes? I, I don't know. And again, guard play, I think, obviously got a little bit more option, I think, with Rice and Makai Johnson and what they could do. But it's a seven-man rotation right now. And then I think they are playing an eight, sometimes a ninth guy. But it, it's sparingly, like we saw Makai Johnson play six minutes. I mean, it's not. I think Rice played two minutes or something. So, it wasn't a lot uh, if you combine those to eight total minutes, I think. Can you get those to 15 minutes? And so the other thing is I'm wondering, too, and we see it a little bit more they, they do with Peterson than Seymour, you know, 36 for a media timeout. We see him take out Peterson, so he gets a little bit extra rest and stuff. And so, yes, it's still minutes played, but it's also sometimes how do you get your rest? Sure. Right? We've heard people talk about that a lot. So they do it a lot with Peterson. I don't know they do it a lot with Seymour, at least to my knowledge off the top of my head. I don't remember them doing it, but I have seen them, hey, we're going to come up on the media. Let's go ahead and get Peterson a breather. Or they've set him coming out of the media timeout for that extra time. So they're giving him front and back end media timeouts. So instead of, oh, it looks like we only got 30 seconds of rest if you go to a box score, but in reality – he got three minutes, four minutes of actual time of rest. So I, I don't know, you know, somebody smarter than me have to figure out, does that help, does it not help? Certainly people believe it helps if you get, instead of a 30-second breather of game time, you get four and a half of real minutes sitting down on the bench. But I still believe, uh, th- and this was my knock on Bob Ritchie, right? I, I, I can't talk about this and then the Furman people are just going to start screaming at me, the few that we do have listened to us. Is, that was my thing. They rotated six guys. Now, they weren't even doing seven. They were rotating six. And at the end of the year, when you go back-to-back-to-back games, by the time they finished the first game or second, they were done. Right. And so now, last year, you saw them a heavy rotation of eight. The year before that, seven, almost eight. And again, some of it's depth, this, that, and other. But Bob Ritchie didn't used to trust his bench because those guys all stepped in when they were able to play and looked great. So 
to me it wasn't them. It was just were they able to get on the floor. Now they're starting to get. And with the fact they've had injuries this year, Furman, um, to Foster and to Pegues, now I think they have trusted to use more of their bench. And they got eight, maybe even nine guys playing pretty regularly there. So I think Furman's just as good as anybody going into uh, the, the conference tournament. But that was my knock on Bob Ritchie, so I, I would not be you know uh, true to myself if I didn't say, hey, I think if you're going to make a run late in this thing, you know, you got to get more people some minutes because those extra minutes do add up to the end of the year, and they do add up, especially when you're having to win three straight games in a row if you want to go uh, for, to represent your squad in the NCAA tournament. Right now, ETSU is a seven seed. You have to win four in a row. Right. So, so I mean, you know, they still got some work to do to get out of that seven slot. But right now, um, but uh, let, let's let's don't bury the lead here. ETSU is playing good defense. The last four games with Karan Boyd back. They've won three of those. They had a shot to win the fourth. they got two more important home games coming up. Yeah, they were .87 points allowed per possession against the Citadel. For frame of reference, Houston is the most efficient defense in the country. They're .86, according to Ken Palm. Points per, uh, points per 100 possessions. So, like, that's extremely efficient on the part of ETSU defensively against the Citadel. They were even better than that against Mercer. Uh, I think they were like point. I think it was like point eight or point eight one. Like it was ridiculously low, and they played great against Mercer uh, defensively. So this is a different team now uh, from what we maybe saw a couple weeks ago when Karan was out. Certainly a different team than the one that went to Spartanburg and lost a heartbreaker to Wofford. And the Terriers come back in uh, to ETSU. Bucks are feeling a little bit better about themselves. Uh, the Terriers, uh, they got a win in overtime against Western Carolina, so they're feeling pretty good about themselves. They were very competitive. literally came down to the final seconds. Wofford had a look for the win. It was kind of a, kind of like a, like a .4 court heave. It was a long, long three. But they had a look at the win, couldn't get it against Sanford. Um, they're sitting at 6-4, and four, which is honestly way above where I thought they would be at this point of the year. And they're two games ahead of ETSU. It just it stinks because if you flip that if that six point possession doesn't happen in Spartanburg, ETSU wins that game. The Bucks are five and five. The Terriers are five and five. And ETSU has a chance to really put themselves in a secure position to get off of Friday in Asheville. But if ifs and buts were candies and nuts, we'd all have a Merry Christmas. So um, ETSU's got to play this one as well as they played any ball game this year to get themselves right back in the fight to get to the top six and get get one of those precious first-round buys that will set them up for a chance to go for three days in March instead of trying to have them to go for four. Wofford, 5-2 and two in league action, four points or less games decided by. I mean, they have lived kind of on that. One of those that's that yeah. kind of split with Western, right? They lost the one at home in a, a, a three, four-point. Yeah, I think it was a four-point loss. Yep. Then they got that, right. that revenge win coming back. So, I mean, just, you know, uh, they, they kind of thrive in that situation. ETSU overall, I think, just got the 500 in, in those type games uh, with the win against the Citadel. But ETSU, again, they want to get out of that Friday scenario. They got two chances, and Wofford and Furman had a chance to do it. And, uh, you know, it's one of those situations where we talked about it last time. You knew somebody was going to be 5-5 five and five after the loss. You probably, looking back at it, maybe want a Western to win that just because you get a chance to 
to maybe even up at Wofford a little sooner. But ETSU does get to play Western Carolina, so if they're able to pick up a couple wins, go to six and six. Yep. You know they've got to win a couple road tests too. They still got Western on the road, Chad on the road, top uh, top uh, leading Sanford on the road. So they got to go to Citadel on the road. So ETSU still a, a lot of basketball, but you're you're past halfway point. You know now is the point where us media guys can look at the standings as we will every single show, especially after games are played, and figure out all right what's it looking like. And you know UNCG with a great win, I thought uh, in an outstanding ball game down in uh, Timmins Arena. But boy, for Furman, I, it is JP Pegues missed layup, missed three there late. Carter Witt had a chance, missed layup. And then Marcus Foster, two free throws with point six or seven to go on the clock. He missed the first one and then had the to miss the second on, P- Pegu- on purpose. Pegues took that three too early. He should have waited for point eight. That's true. That's true. He'd be yeah. the third time with point eight six, or seven less seconds. on the clock. Yeah, should have. Yeah. yeah, he took it with six seconds. He should have taken it with less than one. Man. That's his problem. What's his deal, man? What are you doing? No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But uh, talking about a high-scoring affair, that was that was uh, a wild one. Yeah. Uh, also, by the way, I, I you know made a comment about Jalen McCreary, kind of you know looking disinterested. Well, I guess somebody told him that because he went for thirty or whatever against VMI. I, don't I know. would hope so. I mean, you would. I mean, I, I would hope – I would think he's so talented. I don't know why he doesn't go for 20 a night to begin with, but he does I, I just – I mean, your your big gun should always fire off in a big way against VMI. That team is – defensively, it's just uh, it's just not there. And they, the pace that they play at, there should be a lot of points on the board. If it's a lopsided win, if it's not a lopsided win, VMI, I think, is the second fastest team in the SOCON. In terms of tempo, only behind Sanford. So they play fast. They're trying to increase the number of possessions in the game so that they can get more opportunities to score points, um, which I think is a, it's, you know, it's a different philosophy. Uh, it's more like a football-type philosophy where if you're the underdog, you want to increase the number of possessions in the game. Um, but uh, that tends to work against you when you don't play great defense. So, Although then you hear coaches say, well, if you play great defense, you want to play less of it. So you try to slow the game down. That's what Savage said on uh, on on Saturday when uh, in our pregame conversation he uh, he said if you play great I asked because I asked him about it I said what's your philosophy on how you judge when your team needs to play fast when your team needs to play deliberate and he said if you play great defense you typically want to play as little of it as you can uh, so they you know shorten the game take as much of the shot clock as you can and uh, run run clock as much as you possibly can on offense so that that way. You're not defending for 25 seconds and then going down the floor and you take a shot seven seconds into the shot clock and you're immediately back on defense. So you play at a more deliberate pace to try to even things out, give yourself a chance to play a balanced game in terms of offensive versus defensive uh, possessions and length of those possessions. So you look at the upcoming week in Southern Conference, and of course Wednesday it's Wofford at ETSU. Other Wednesday games, Mercer plays host to the Furman Paladins. The Furman Paladins. On that. Then Western Carolina and the Citadel will get together in Cullowee. A couple games on Thursday due to travel schedules. Sanford will be at UNCG Chattanooga at VMI, and then they'll switch those. Those are the only kind of true, quote-unquote, travel partners all season. Mm-hmm. Uh, UNCG VMI, Sanford Chattanooga when they play that, and then games on Thursday because they'll stay out on the road. But other than that, most most folks stay Wednesday, uh, Saturday. So Sanford UNCG, you know, 
top of the standings. UNCG wants to get back in that regular season hunt. They will need to pick up a win, obviously, at home against Sanford to do that. Um, Chattanooga, I assume, will have no trouble at VMI. I assume Sanford no trouble on Saturday VMI. But we'll talk about those Saturday matchups. Actually, I don't know. You'll be on the road. Maybe you won't. Maybe I'll, I'll do a one-man show. Have you call in from the road? I, could, I would be glad to call in from the road. Call it ro- rolling it along. Actually, I'll, I'll be on the bus, so I, I can call. Yeah, no, I can do that. I can do it if you want. Let's uh, let's talk about something else. I'm, I'm ready. I'm I'm kind of hooped out. Men's hoop, I'm kind of well, mooped out. Men's hoops. Mahoop. I'm mahooped out. I don't know. I don't. I don't think too much about that. I certainly didn't. Um, talk about women's basketball a little bit. Yep. For a few minutes. Sure. Um, that was not good on Saturday, um, and the mock was um, as as. You know how, like, there's this face that Southern people make in particular, and it's kind of like a grimace. It's where your jaw sets real hard, and you really would just like to throw something breakable at a wall because you're angry. And you don't necessarily articulate it in a way that is, you know, because you're not trying to take it out on other people because it's not other people's fault, but you're just angry about something. And that's kind of what I, the vibe I got from Mock on Saturday after the game is she was she was disappointed to the point that she was like really just fired up about her team's loss to Wofford and the way they lost that game because yeah Rachel Rose went off okay sure whatever but the it's the three point shots the efficiency with which Wofford was able to score. Wofford played a good basketball game, but um, they were way above their field goal percentage for the year. I mean, they shoot like 29-7 from three. Uh, I think they were, what, eight of 18, something like that? What was it? Was it from three? Yeah, that no, was thir- more than it. it was 13. Thir- 13 of 31. Yeah, they 13. were they – were In the – for, you're about, and the, they were and they were nine of seventeen at halftime. That's yeah. what it was. They were nine of seventeen at halftime, and so they yeah they finished with thir- they were thirteen to thirty one from three, um, and that's way too much. That's too many threes. Um, that's too many threes going in. It was too many open looks, and Wofford did some things to manufacture those. But ETSU is a team that prides itself on defense, and uh, there was a sequence coming up the floor. Rachel Rose across the timeline right side. This is in the second quarter. Rachel Rose across the timeline right side. Mock is out almost on the floor trying to get somebody to pick Rose up at half court. Nobody does. Rose dribbles up to the th- to the three-point line and nails a wide-open right side three. Timeout ETSU. I think it was like a 12 or 14-point game at that point in favor of Wofford. It was close to their largest lead if it wasn't their largest and it just that was emblematic, I thought, of the way that game went. ETSU fought back. You know, they continued to fight. They didn't roll. They came out of halftime after uh, getting uh, getting instruction and adjustment at, at the halftime break. They came out. They played well. Uh, they hit some shots. They got the lead. 
and then Wofford threw the counter punch, and ETSU didn't have another one in, in the in the reserve somewhere to uh, to try to come back and win it. So, I mean, it came down to three point shooting. I mean, I don't even think that's close. I mean, three times and Wofford this season has shot forty percent or more from three, and they've knocked off ETSU, Western Carolina, and Virginia. That's their three wins when shooting 40% or more from three. Again, because of last game, they just now creeped over the 30% mark, so clearly above where they've been. ETSU kind of answered the bell. They were 8 of 14 from three in the first half, but then a 1 for 10 third quarter showing is where the separator began right? and where Wofford really started uh, to take the lead. Even though Wofford really didn't shoot it that great, they were 3 of 9 from three, but they – were able to put together a little bit of a run, and really ETSU couldn't quite get back into it. You know, every time it seemed like they got it to maybe four or five, Wofford was able to kind of stretch it back out, and ETSU, you know, needed that one, didn't get it. And so the regular season hopes are, are, are probably gone. I mean, unless yeah, I think a regular season, happens, I think the regular right? season title hopes with, with three losses at this point are probably over. You know, but now how does ETSU react uh, the back half of the season, right? They finish the first round robin at 4-3. and three. Um, Get Chattanooga at home. You want to know what's funny, though? You want to know what's really funny? What do you got? You have something funny? What's funny? Yes. What is funny? UNCG on the road. UNCG on the road is a completely different team from UNCG. At home. They yeah. lost to Western Carolina. Yeah. How? Uh, I mean, I don't think they're untalented, but, but how? UNCG is 12-1 and one at home and 2-7 and seven on the road. And in SOCOM play, they're 3-1 and one at home and 0-3 oh and on the road. So at least the Bucks get them here. You get Chattanooga here next week. You just got to get through this road trip. And I know Bree Beatty got hurt in the fourth quarter against Wofford uh, with a shoulder and um, – you know they've they've already got a litany of other injuries that are are plaguing this team, uh, but if if Beatty can go, they need her because Mercer's JUCO players are starting to get it together. They're still three and four, but they sense an opportunity to get one at home against an ETSU team that went down to their place and took it to them last year. Um, then you got Sanford kind of feeling the same thing, right? Because they got it taken to them last year at home. They got it taken to them on the road this year and probably feel like they have a chance to get this this ETSU team. Now, I, I will say, you know, as, as frustrated as I think Mock was, uh, the whole team was that way to a point. And that tells me that as they get back in the gym today, they're going to come at this full steam ahead because they don't really have another option, right? When you're when you're in this situation, what's the saying? When you're going through hell, keep going, right? ETSU is kind of at a, a low point. And the, the, the Brenda Mock Brown era has been such a, a, a period of unbroken highs and successes and records and triumphs. Okay, you've lost, what, three of your last four, and or three, three of your last five. And one of those games, you looked dominant. And in one of those games, you looked, you know, not good. 
on defense. Uh, and one, you collapsed in the fourth quarter. And one, you had a chance to win it at the buzzer and just didn't quite get what you needed or tie it at the buzzer. You didn't quite get what you needed. Um, you know, this is this is the, the most adversity I think this team has faced in the last 18 months. Uh, ever, si- ever since game one when all of the – drama of the way that Brendan Mott Brown became the head coach of this program was by the wayside. You went out, you played South Carolina, you lost that game, but you didn't back down and say, okay, well, if we don't back down, if we're not afraid of them, then um, if we play hard against them, then we'll play hard against everybody. And they did. And they beat Lafayette, they beat Lehigh, and they're rolling. It's like, okay, we got this. We're bas- It's basketball now. We're playing basketball. We're a normal basketball team. Here we go. And this is the first time I really feel like um, they've not just hit adversity, but have had that adversity kind of linger. It lingers. When River Rufus Milner tore her ACL, ETSU bounced back immediately with two huge wins. They, you know, they, they were challenged and motivated, and they responded. Well, now you're in a situation where your preseason goal of winning the SOCON is slipping away from you. It may have already escaped you. How do you respond to that? How do you fight back against that? I think that's the challenge, and that's going to be the mark of this team. And this is going to be – this is a defining stretch. The next three games will define ETSU's season. Games, what, 8, 9, and 10 out of 14 in SOCON play. If you win all three of these, you feel like you've got a shot when you go to Asheville to to still win this thing. Um, If you lose all three of them, which is possible – I won't say it's – I'm not going to say it's likely. I think it's possible. I don't even know that it's probable. I think ETSU will find a win in these next three, at least one. But if you were to lose all three of them and you're four and six and you're, you know, in sixth place, suddenly things feel a lot different. So this is this is the moment. This is the pivot point. If you are going to continue to contend, this is where you, you make it happen. And that's – I mean – Brenda Mock Brown's done nothing other than make that happen, and her players have done nothing other than make that happen throughout their tenure here. So this is the time when you got to make it happen. Well, and they're going to be life on the road coming up, and the league this year at home, 20-8 and eight at home. God. If you take out Western's 1-4 and four record, they're 19-4. and four. Last year, the whole Southern Conference in-conference play was 26-30. and 30. Yes, the road team more won than the home team last year in Southern Conference play. It is not that way this year. It is flipped, and so with each issue having to go on the road, and you look at Sanford at home this year is nine and two. Mercer is six and three at home. I mean, those are going to be a couple of tough games going before you welcome in, as you mentioned, Chattanooga. And you know, the, last year it was easy to look at games and go, you know what, you go on the road, you got a shot. Most teams aren't very good at home. I mean, yeah. Everybody last year had two or more home losses in league play. I, I can't even fathom that when I went back and looked at it a little bit ago. I'm just trying to think, has there ever been a time in any league where somebody didn't just have no losses, one loss, but it was a pretty balanced league as far as that goes, or maybe there wasn't some front runners. Now yeah. all of a sudden. And, and I think part of that is just the, the rise in quality of SoCon. I hoops. agree. I agree. I, I think it, then in years past, part of the reason for that is that SoCon women's basketball wasn't very good. 
Let's, I mean, let's be honest about it. The, the standard was not necessarily super high. If you look at the conference RPI, it was not unsurprising to see the SOCON and the Big South, for that matter, sitting in the low 20s, maybe even in the 30s a couple of years. Um, between Mock and Sean Poppy and Jimmy Garrity and Trina Patterson and their four teams in particular, those four teams have really elevated what they do. And it's made it harder for Mercer that used to rule the roost in the SOCON for a little bit. Uh, but that team, you know, still is well coached, recruits great athletes, has some talent, and they are they're five games under 500 right now because they played a really tough schedule. But um, Furman's got some good individuals. Sanford's got some good individuals. And they can win games on any given day at home, especially uh, this league is – better than it has been in a really, really long time overall. And that makes it harder to win on the road, but it also makes it harder to dig out of a hole if you start losing home games. So uh, this is a a challenging situation for anybody to be in, and it's kind of unfortunate that ETSU is the team that's got to be it. Because, I mean, you think about it, flip the coin, if ETSU had played – you know, a really one of their best games of the year, and Wofford had played a really mediocre defensive game. Then ETSU wins on Saturday, and they're five and two, and they're back in the title fight. And Wofford's four and three, and they're trying to figure out where their season goes next. So, it's thinnest of margins. It's high caliber players, and that creates an environment where you've really got to bring it every single game one through, like, eight to to consistently win in the SoCon. Yeah, and you mentioned Susan Gardner-Mercer and Summa Evans, who came off a zero burger the other day, went for 35. Yeah. Uh, she's, not, she's not going to go over again this year. No. She will not. And yeah. they've rolled right past Sanford uh, for a rare road win in the Southern Conference. So, ETSU, I mean, the next three, obviously not – Again, regular season championship, I, I think everyone can agree, is unless something catastrophic happens to Chattanooga's out of the uh, out of the question. Now, how do they finish the year and get into the Southern Conference Tournament? And what position will they be in? How can they set themselves up to win three? And I think Coach Mock said this on the coaches' show, which at the time she said it, I was like, eh, but now looking back at it, I, I, I think clearly she knows more about basketball than I do. But she said last year we peaked way too early. And when we got to the tournament, we were kind of coming down and chat was coming up. And we peaked kind of in the middle of the conference. He said, we haven't peaked yet. We've had some things with injuries and things. We just haven't been able to get together. Can we get healthy enough towards the end of the year to start to peak as we get to the tournament? And at the time, I thought, eh. But then watching, you know, and not having Ja'Kai Davis in there at all, I think hurt. Um, some of the rebounding things that ETSU was giving up offensively. Plus, yeah. I think she just gives you some different things. I think Megan Downing has come around a lot offensively, but there are some layups and things that I think Ja'Kai Davis yeah. w- would be able to not do. But, again, it's depth. There's other right. things right, that right, goes right. With, with other players. Um, you know, and, and, you know, we've counted it up just in the office, kind of half-jokingly half-serious, but – Seven players have missed a game or more for the women's basketball team. So if they can get full complement of players, 
healthy at the same time, get it going. They still because again, I think it's actually eight, isn't it? Jer- didn't Journey McDaniel? I think Journey McDaniel missed a couple games. Well, and I did not have her on the list. So if she did, then that would be eight. Eight different women's players have missed a game or more, um, or even missed a game in different spurts. So that being said, they've now had full complement of players for a while. And if they could get everybody going on the same page, especially going into the conference tournament, then certainly I think, again, it's one big league, right? There's no women's Southern Conference team right now that's going to get an at-large. All right, here you go, here we go, here we go. Kendall Foley has missed three games, Mm -hmm. and um, she's come off the bench for three games. Uh, Courtney Moore missed one. Chakaya Davis has missed five and counting. Journey McDaniel missed two. Brecken Snotherly missed two. Jalea Cotton missed two. Megan Downing missed one. Uh, Samia Puckett missed or did not play in three. Sarah Thompson has not played in six games, but I think she's really only missed two with injury. But injury. And, that, then, and then Malia Kirtner's missed two with injury. So that's nine that have missed because of injury. At some point in time, yes. Yes. Uh, Samia didn't. Samia, I think, was just coach's decision. I don't think she was hurt. Um yeah, that somebody they've all missed games, missed time, illness, injury, just everything that could go wrong has, and um, you, know, the, you got you got to find a way to rally through it because other teams are having to deal with adversity as well. You know, Wofford's adversity is they're playing four freshmen. They're decent freshmen, but they're still freshmen, and there are going to be situations they get into where they just they have a tough time getting out of it. Uh, you know, Chattanooga, again, very, very short bench. How do they handle it? Um, you know, I, I th- if ETSU can get some players healthy and can get them all together and get you some depth going, then you have an opportunity to leverage that in the conference tournament where some teams are going to have some tired legs. Rachel Rose has not come off the floor, I think, in like eight of the last ten for Wofford. She played at the full 40. So – they're, um, yeah, th- those players are going to be exhausted by the end of the year. How much does your depth help you? And your depth is being tested in a big way right now. Um, how about some can – we, can we talk a little bit of football? I just want to – I just want to, like – I feel like we were kind of, like, not necessarily, like, gloom and doom, but, like, hey, things, things are challenging. It's stormy skies right now. Football. Hope Springs Eternal. And uh, spring football is on the way. So is signing day. Rogers, bring me a roster. He brought you a roster? No, not yet. He's bringing me one. He is bringing you one. So I will have a roster with numbers. Future so perfect. He, he, will, he, he will bring you a roster. Yeah. He, he actually did, but Kevin didn't have one, so he sold it, which... <laughs> he needs it more than I do because he had to update the website and things with numbers. And yes, such. I did get. I also got a baseball roster because um, I know they do some stuff with roster management in the in the fall. And there's like a winter period, so I di- I didn't realize this that there is actually during the winter break for spring sports athletes there is a period where you can go in the portal. There's like the like the spring football window that exists for spring sports, but it's in December. And I thought that was a little bit wild, and uh, so they they have to like they, they don't finalize they end up not finalizing a roster for a while as a result of that. So 
we just got a baseball roster, and uh, their season starts next week. Softball actually starts this week. So there you go. Um, but the 2024 SOCOM football schedule is out. I want to take like 10, 15 minutes to talk about sure. the SOCOM football schedule. Do you sense, and I know that this is, is, is not necessarily the easiest thing to anticipate in this conference in particular, for reasons that we could do an entire other podcast on. But do you see in October or maybe early November a game that sticks out to you that says this could be for the SOCON title, this realistically could be for the SOCON title, and you can't say Furman at ETSU because I think we all agree that that's a very that, – that, that's a possible one. Given the amount of infused talent coming from a – Big South OVC championship team in Gardner-Webb that's coming to ETSU, I feel like there's an opportunity there for the Bucks if they hit a stride that, yeah, maybe you could be playing for a SoCon title. That, that's just how weird this league is. You know, Furman's still – Furman's turned over a lot of veterans, but they're still pretty solid nucleus. They identified their young quarterback this past year, and they, they, they've held on to him. So, I mean, that could be one, but is there another game that you see that you look at going – this is a major separator where somebody could win the SoCon title because of it. Yeah, I, I think the October 12th, Chattanooga's at Furman. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a that, – to me, that's the easy one that jumps off the page to start with. Um, you know, Western's going to be interesting because originally I was maybe going to lean either because Western plays Furman and Chat uh, mid-October 1st of November, November 2nd to be exact on the other one. But Western, you know – Losing their offense coordinator is not as doom and gloom as I think some people made it out to be because, you know, Kate Bell was running his dad's offense that his dad taught him. I'm inclined to agree, yeah. So I, I don't think that's it. Now, they lost some key pieces. Um, certainly, they returned some offensive line. I think that's going to be uh, pretty solid. New offensive line coach as well. Jeremy Darvo followed um, – or Davro followed um, um, Cade Bell to Pitt. And, and new defense coordinator. And new defense that's coordinator. That's how Billy Taylor is able to get the Tuskers yes. out. So – you know, there's there's some things there where sure Western, Sanford, where do they go? That that's what I'm kind of curious. I, honestly, about. man, Sanford makes me anxious because I had high expectations for that team and they couldn't protect Hires, and it felt like their offensive identity changed a little bit because Hires has a better arm than some of the quarterbacks they've had in the recent past, and so they wanted him to sit in the pocket longer and try to sling it deep when they didn't have the offensive line to keep him. Uh, that would let him sit on a spot and wait for a route to come open. He had to run a lot. He took a lot of hits. Um, I don't know about that team. If that's the same scheme that they're going to run, <sighs> buckle up. I, I think they could be not so good. Now, if they go back to more of the Devlin Hodges, three-yard quick hitter, get your scheme your receivers open and let them go make plays in space, uh, I, I think that could work. Um, and I think that can work independent of who your personnel are because the ball's coming out fast. Uh, but ultimately, uh, if you're gonna just if you're gonna have your quarterback sitting back there and, and letting her rip, you better be sure you can keep him on his feet long enough for him to set those feet and let it rip. Yeah, I mean they got away. They being Sanford in a couple. Okay, several turnovers return for touchdowns against Chattanooga. The very next week, ETSU forced four turnovers, but was anemic offensively. Yes, and, and couldn't make them pay. Same thing. Turned it over against Furman. They got beat. Turned it over against Mercer. Got beat. Um, you 
know, they were four and four, whatever it was in league play. So I mean, just yeah. and, I, and, I, I, and I expect I expect the Citadel to be better. Uh, I mean, it'd be hard to be worse, but I expect the Citadel to be better. I, of all the teams that came in here to Green Stadium last year and played on Bank of Tennessee Field, it's the only one that Mark Hutzel and I looked at each other in a commercial break and said, if they can get three or four dudes on offense, this scheme is terrific. Like, they could produce. And that was the offense that we looked at and said, this this could be pretty good for them in the long term. It's clearly year one. They're clearly behind the curve on just getting the players they need. Remember, Maurice Drayton's, you know, at the beginning of the year, starting quarterback, we don't have a starting quarterback. We're, not a, we're a poor football team right now. And, you know, that, that held up. But I also think that the things that they tried to do, particularly with their offense, are things that are effective if they can get the right personnel in. And so the Citadel might not be the same cakewalk that it was for some teams uh, this year. I tell you one game that's really intriguing to me, and I, I think this is the kind of game that's the one that you look back on when you get to Thanksgiving and you're on the bubble and you're sweating it out on November, the night of November 23rd. And you go, ah, crap, I wish we'd won that game. That game's going to keep us out. September 14th, Mercer at Chattanooga. Week two, right? Week two or week three? Mercer at Chat is a huge game with massive playoff implications. The first SoCon game of the calendar is going to be one that, to me, could be used to keep a team out. It's the first SoCon game for Mike Jacobs. This Chattanooga team's riding high, feeling good. They want to get after it. They think that this is their year to go be the noisemaker at the top of the SoCon. And what happens? Does something bananas happen and Mercer wins that game on the road? And they get themselves a um, – uh, uh, suddenly they're they're in the good graces of the committee. Is Chattanooga behind the eight ball again and having to sneak their way in? Or does Chattanooga blow Mercer out? And Mercer's immediately like, well, that's it. We had a great season. Uh, I guess uh, I guess we're probably done now. And then call it a call it a year. You know, I mean, I don't think that's going to happen. I think Mike Jacobs is too good. Of, I thought that was a great hire, by the way. The SoCon went two yeah, for agree. two. Agree. The SoCon went two for two on hires his coaching cycle. Um, but uh, you know what happens to that because it's a it's going to be a very new Mercer team. You lost the best wide receiver to come through this so through this conference in a very long time, I think. In Ty James, you lost his number two guy in, in Devron Harper, and your quarterback hit the portal, the Carter Peavy. So you're replacing your entire pass offense, basically. That's not easy to do in one off season, even though. If, it's, a, it's, the, it's the, oh, the transfer portal and NIL and sling around all these resources and you can solve all your problems today. Now, it doesn't work that way. It still takes time for all those pieces to fit, and that doesn't mean that it's easy. It's challenging to do those things. Um, Mercer might not do it, and Mercer, as a result, might have a tough time winning some games, particularly their game at Chattanooga. Right out of the gate could be a tough one. Keith's concerns is what I'm going to call this short uh, segment here. Keith's concerns. I'm going to say the football team, you give me the concern for the infirmary. Can they keep the same depth that they've had in the past? And if injuries mount, what does that look like for them? Um, Do they struggle to get through a rash of injuries that at some point injury luck 
turns for everybody. It sours for everybody. Is this the year that Furman has that happen? That would be my concern. Mercer Bears. Uh, I just said pass. You know, their entire pass offense is turned over. Or the the, the 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 guy that throws the ball and the two best guys that catch the ball are all gone. What happens next? C word. I don't say their name. That that they uh, that they lose that game to Mercer. If they win that game against Mercer and if they blow Mercer out, I feel like they could they could get rolling a little bit because then you know they come here for the you know they they take they got two weeks without a conference game. I think they have a non conference and a bye, and then they come to play for the rail. Uh, and then if you start out two and zero with that schedule, you go to Furman, you win that one, uh, and then you're rolling. And if they, if they can start out three and zero or two and one. Um, I think they could really roll their way through the second half of the SoCon schedule. Western Carolina. Um, all 22 starting personnel. Who starts where? Is there? There's no continuity with this team except maybe at quarterback with Gonzalez. You're leaning on what, A.J. Colombo's your number one receiver now. You may or may not have your number one back. How good is your offensive line after you turn over your O-line coach that Kerwin specifically brought in to beef up the O-line because he saw that as an opportunity for them to um, be a better football team as a result? And also, can you win Can you win the game that you expect to win? They lost to VM, was it VMI, and that kept them out of the playoffs at the end of the year. If they win that game, there are probably four SoCon teams in, or Chattanooga might not get in. Chattanooga won a game in the first round. They beat Austin P. So, I, I think it's just delivering in the clutch would probably be the best one. But also, yeah, you got a lot of holes in your offense that you got to refill. Sanford, is it O line or is it the scheme? What concerns you most? I think I'm going to go O line because if your O line is good, then it doesn't matter what scheme you run, you're going to be able to make it work. Keydets. Can they can they bring more than just vibes on Saturday? I feel like they finished 500 this season in the SoCon on vibes alone. Danny Rocco motivated them to win for their seniors, and now you've got four or five guys that were going to be impact that were important players for you last year. They're gone again. So, can you do more than just you know? Br- Bring me more than just vibes. I need to be more convinced that this VMI project has staying power. Wofford. Everything. Citadel. Uh, recruiting success. And finally, the host school, the East Tennessee State Buccaneers. Um, meshing all of the new guys with the guys that are already here because you have a number of veterans that are going to command some playing time, particularly on defense. How do the new guys all fit in? Does everybody get along? Is there? Brooks Savage talked about this with his team. How do you keep the pettiness out of the locker room of, well, this guy's getting all these snaps and I got blah, blah, blah. It's like, well, last year's not this year. It's different. So those would be my concern. It, it's just meshing everybody together, checking all the egos, and getting this team all pulling in the same direction. And you really can't start doing that until guys start hitting each other which is not that far away. We're about six weeks from the start of spring practice. And then the spring game is on a Friday night, April 19th. 
Are you excited for Friday night spring game? I am. I am too. Give me some. I am too. All right. Talk hoops, talk hoops. We'll have to talk you when you're on the road, I guess. And uh, signing day, we'll talk signing day. We'll talk some other stuff. Okay. Yeah, man. We'll find an internet. Line I tell you what, I, if, if I tell you, there are some there are some people in this signing class that really excite me because if you look at the names, and I can't talk about them, but if you look at the names, this is what in-state recruiting should look like for an FCS football program. This is the kind of class that you want to be able to put together. I think Trey Lamb and his staff. And particularly Isaac Vance and Madison Hunsaker just knocked it out of the park this winter. Really well done. And that's all I have to say about that. All right. We will talk about that coming up in the week, probably Thursday. I think Friday. What's up, see what your your travel schedule when you get around. But we will talk. probably Friday. Friday, Jay and Keith on the Buccaneer Sports Network. Sunny day, Wednesday. Travel safe.